0: Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay.
1: Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are needed grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. My guest today is actually based here in Ottawa. He works for the only evidence based grief recovery program in the world. They take an action based, powerful, directed approach to healing from life's deepest heartbreaks. Don Lachance is someone I think you are going to find incredibly interesting. I am honored to speak with such a deeply committed, empathetic gentleman. Our talk covers so much centered around Don's attention to serving those in need. So without further ado, I would like to bring on my guest so that you too can meet Don Shoss.
0: Hi Elaine, how are you? I'm
1: great, thanks. It's good to have you here with me, and I would have to say you're one of the the closest people that that I've talked with on the show lately.
0: Geographically speaking.
1: Geographically speaking, absolutely.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, I'm sure closeness from an emotional perspective is is one thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have a tendency to just develop that instant closeness simply because of just your understanding of some of these uncomfortable topics that you address.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that. And it took a long time to really be open to seeing what was going on around me and understanding and it really touches me that I am actually paying enough attention these days. Because I think for a very long time, I did not.
0: Mm -hmm. We disconnect from emotional discomfort.
1: Oh, absolutely. Emotions is not a place I ever wanted to live.
0: Nobody does. And like the difficult part about that is we're conditioned from birth to not feel.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Is it a wonder that... It, it's the challenge that it is. There's no confusion around that for me.
1: And that's actually a, a really good segue into let's let's get started because I believe that for one, you and I are going to have a very interesting discussion today. But it's not going to be the usual. You tell a story and and I just listen in. I think you have a lot more for our audience. So why don't you start taking it where you want to go and I will follow along.
0: I I don't know that I want to take this anywhere because typically the skill set I bring to the table is an ability to listen and listen intently because I hear what people say But I listen for what they don't say. That's always equipped me with a much better list of questions to ask to help peel back layers, because that's what ends up happening. I don't know how you typically conduct the interviews on here. I can go on and on about emotional discomfort. I've lived a lifetime lifetime of it. And, and
1: actually Don, that's for me, that's really the point. I want us to have a conversation. and I firmly believe we're directed to go where we need to in conversations. I hate setting things up so that they're scripted. But the fact that you we started talking about how much I don't like emotion, And I know um, how much you serve, but talking about emotion and why we are so at odds with feeling basically the core of who we are as humans.
0: Um, Nobody likes discomfort and we're really made up, um, and a lot of us is based on our emotional content, our emotional awareness. And that's confusing because we've been conditioned all of our lives not to feel that, not to sit in any of that discomfort. And part of the certification that I came through the Grief Recovery Institute are firm believers. And by the way, I must add, that we are the only evidence-based process on the face of the planet. I I keep the six myths that we've been conditioned with up by my doorway here. Because while I'm in the office and I'm working with people, I'm very cognizant of, um, of, of those things. But the minute I walk out my doorway and into the great big world, I'm dealing with people who have been so deeply conditioned by these myths, and here they are. Don't feel bad. Replace the loss. Grieve alone. Just give it time. Be strong for others. And keep busy. Every one of those myths are incredibly deep traps to keep us from feeling. And we're comforted in them.
1: Absolutely. That's such a good place to start. And it's funny, as you were saying, as you were talking about the fact that we're conditioned not to feel, it's true, okay? Little kid falls down, bumps their knee, quick, give them a popsicle, give them a cookie, do something to distract them from actually feeling the pain of having fallen down. If you really think about it, if we felt the pain of falling down, we might do things a little differently next time. If we were able to take the time to actually feel that.
0: See, listen to the words you use. Take the time to actually feel that. Yet, we're, we're battling the conditioning constantly. And whenever we experience anything that's negative on the emotional front, and we begin to share that, it makes people so uncomfortable that they want to move us away from it right away. And they will share things with us that although they may be intellectually accurate, they're completely void of any emotional value or freedom. So there's no depth created there. There's no safe zone created there for others to take their masks off and talk about that discomfort freely.
1: Right. And it it is... And and even the discomfort that you can feel when someone shares their grief, their loss, or or death, or or what have you, that too, that discomfort is a feeling. And we don't even allow ourselves to to live in that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because we become very skilled at it. As skilled as we are at implementing what we refer to as STURBS, short-term energy-relieving behaviors. And those are activities that we get involved in that keep us from actually feeling. And they show up in forms like alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, eating disorders. A lot of them are attached to the emotional realm and people just don't know how to explore that. And here's a great example. As a child... Something happens to you in the schoolyard and you come home and you want to tell mom or dad about it. And the minute you start to share that emotional discomfort, they're shushing, don't feel bad, darling. Here's a cookie. Go watch TV. So the underlying message there is don't feel bad. We're not going to address the turmoil that you're experiencing right now. Here's a cookie. Go watch TV. So I take the cookie. And I feel differently because now I'm doing something different and I'm gone to be distracted by whatever's on television. So I bury that and we become just so adept at doing that, dodging the emotion and taking on other activities that help us just relieve some of the anxiety and and pain.
1: Even as we're talking, I think, my God so many things. If there's any negative at all, we do. We shut it down. The, our parents did our the teachers did, the nurse did. I can remember being in hospital and being in a great deal of pain. I was quite young and complaining to the nurse, who said, oh, shush, shush now. Okay, we'll get you something. Instead of allowing me to to simply say, yes, it it hurts. If you go through it, it will pass.
0: Absolutely. The education that comes with just introductory conversations with people like myself, and this isn't blowing my own horn, this is simply because of the education I've received On this front and my willingness to step into my own emotional journey and that was really an interesting aspect because I have 37 years of hardcore alcohol and drug addiction recovery under my belt and years ago when I decided to get certified on this front it's because I'd been approached by a good friend of mine who had a a great career in dealing with the marginalized and was looking at taking on a chaplaincy role in a hospice and mm-hmm. asked me to vet the process. And so I did. And immediately I called him and I said, look, whatever you do, if you're going to get certified on this front, let me know because I want to go with you. Wow. Oh. And I plugged in because as I began to just really study some of this, I began to realize just how incomplete I was emotionally around so many of the relationships where I believed I'd made amends and I'd looked at things and I attributed the turmoil that surfaces in regards to grief as the death of a loved one, yet we get to introduce people to the myriad of intangible losses. And intangible losses surface in the form of self-worth, dignity, innocence, value. And so we begin to pull back and look at what the world has just come through with suicide rates going through the roof right now, opioid use going through the roof right now, depression, anxiety, all of that. And those are all things that affect us the same way A death would affect us. The same emotional turmoil surfaces with each of those things mentioned. And there's a myriad of things that go along with that, that we're completely oblivious to.
1: Because we're so busy not feeling the negative feelings.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: You can't get past something you don't acknowledge
0: here's a difficult thing as we begin to gauge the trauma that our lives are based on we're looking for events and more often than not it was the lack of an event that caused the trauma it was the good things that didn't happen to us the 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 bad things are easily detected we can point a finger at them and we can say This, I've experienced this. Not that many of us do because it's too uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. But what about all of the events that didn't occur to create the safety for us, the trust elements for us? All of those things. We're completely oblivious to all of that. Yet guess what? Our lives are made up of a series of those things. Omissions as opposed to actual events. The non-event.
1: That's a whole different spin on everything.
0: It just begins to broaden everything, right? And just begins to just draw a line that that allows us to see how disconnected we are from so many things. Because we'll we'll go into the medical community and don't get me wrong here, I'm not knocking the medical community. They serve an incredible purpose. I've got my own medical story to tell with what I've experienced in the last couple of months. Yeah. But when that, that's a story for another day. Mm -hmm. But when I look at just what unfolds and and how we get anchored to pain around so many of the events or the non-events that have happened to us, we're anchored around six words, anchored to pain around six words, different, better, more hopes, dreams, and expectations. And so we have this daunting task of introducing people to just how much loss their lives are made up of. And the first time you actually look at your life in a graph form that consists of every loss event, because we take people back to dawn of conscious memory. Wow. Wow. And as they begin to experience that, it's very sobering to look at your life based on all of the loss events that you've experienced. And then delving a little deeper into the aspect of the relationships that were involved in each one of those loss events. Wow. And what ends up happening to us in, in, in regards to that and, and how skilled we are at, at just dodging all of that. And even when there's an awareness and you have a desire to delve into that, there are so many there are so many other issues that surface as a result of that. Just based on the relationships that, that we begin to talk about that that were involved in the trauma. Either the actual trauma event or the fact that we didn't get what we needed to avoid.
1: Oh, and I want to unpack this a little because it, it, I'm throwing around a, a lot of really deep concepts. And when you talk about loss for non-events, but can we let's take that apart a little and make use a very simplistic example because I want it to be super clear.
0: I come home with something that I've experienced on an emotional plane and want to share that with a parent. They shoo me off by offering me something to distract me from what it was that I was feeling and I take the cookie I go watch TV and I don't receive the love that I was seeking the comfort that I was seeking So there's me experiencing a trauma-based event, taking it to somebody that I know and trust the most, and I'm told, no, that's you don't need to do that. Here's a cookie and go. So the understanding, the love, the caring, the nurturing that I was expecting to experience didn't take place.
1: That's really good.
0: That's as much of a trauma based event for something that didn't occur as your dad, when you do start to say something, says, Look, you're pissing off your mom. You talk about that one more time, you're going to get a spanking now. Get going, get out and play. Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: and. How many generations can you go back to? To what was the? I don't know. Where did humans start to understand that those negative emotions we should get, pack them in a box, don't show them? It's almost lions and tigers would never show their belly to another lion or tiger because that's a sign of weakness.
0: It's where they're most vulnerable.
1: Yeah, is is this the humans,
0: I guess. Think about it, we take on our belief systems based uh, on what our parents taught us and stop to think about that. As we begin to mature and explore the world and begin to develop some of our own mindset and make our own decisions based on the research that we do. Did our parents have anything of real value to hand off to us in the way of truth when it comes to emotional value? No, because they'd been conditioned the exact same way.
1: And I'm a Brit. I come from Scotland. I was born in Edinburgh, and my father brought us here, my mom, my grandmother, my aunt, and myself. And the underlying whole Brit society is you don't air your dirty laundry. And that covered all the negative emotions. Absolutely. Okay. the don't make a scene oh, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. There were all these things for all those emotions. <laughs> because they're, they're
0: viewed as weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. They're viewed as weaknesses. And listen to some of the conditioning, to be strong. Yeah, yeah. And when I hear people giving that counsel to somebody who's had the courage to put their hand up and talk about something yeah. that is sensitive and hear somebody say, Be strong. You got this. Man, what a trap. What a trap. Yeah, that's horrible. Absolutely. And we want to buy into it because it's comforting. I got this. I'm strong. No, every time you see the word strong somewhere where it becomes part of an emotional, intellectual share on someone's behalf. Pull strong out of that sentence and replace it with the word courage. Because if you have the courage now to talk about the things that are hurting you, you've got people, we refer to them as hearts with ears, and a willingness to go first, to talk about their brokenness, which creates that safe space for others to take their masks off and connect on a real level, sometimes for the first time ever, for most people, because the rest of the world wants to push you into this. No, you got this. Stay busy. Let time take care of it. The difference between wounds and scars. Scars are of physical nature, and... A body will heal over time. maybe not correctly, but it will heal. As opposed to wounds on the emotional front will never heal. They remain opened and hurtful. Yeah. And others want to push you out of that with counsel they believe is wide by telling you to be strong. Just give it time. keep busy. Yeah. And that does You'll nothing. It disconnects. It. It. Yeah, It disconnects us from what's actually going on.
1: It just there's so many questions running through my head at the moment i think it's it's unfortunate that as people start to see this you have to have obviously fallen into grief or had a massive loss for someone to go to the Grief Institute to to actually learn that everything's ass backwards, for lack of a better term. And it's like anything else that we learn. It's, It's time to normalize the
0: conversation
1: around negative emotions. And let people feel them.
0: Here, even in that, wanting to attach the word negative to an emotion. Uh, oh. What makes an emotion negative? An emotion sits as just the revelation of discomfort. Uh, How can that be negative when it's looking to shed light on an area that you're yeah. trapped in? It's like when I speak about being anchored to pain around six words different better more hope streams and expectations and the introduction of intangible loss when people come to us it's usually because they've experienced an event that we refer to as the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back yeah. something that has them so trapped so broken that they don't know how to continue and they feel they just feel at a standstill and that's uncomfortable because we want to constantly be moving whether we're moving in the wrong direction or not (laughs) we want to feel like we're moving right and so we get the daunting task of just stopping them and saying okay look I understand that and we can deal with that we can talk about that but I want you to understand that what you're experiencing right now is accumulation of loss. And loss is cumulative and it's cumulatively negative. And that's why we'll bring people back to their dawn of conscious memory and have them experience the amount of loss that their lives are made up of. Why do we get to a place where all of a sudden we've got no more room? It's like a kettle on a burner and every time someone turns it up a degree, the pressure builds in the kettle till all of a sudden the cork blows on it or the steam starts spouting it. Guess what? You can turn the heat down, but you're not putting that steam back into the kettle. So what mean. do you do? You've got to deal with it. And how do you deal with it? You turn to the specialists. I know so, it's daunting, Elaine.
1: yeah. But oh, it's I want to take negative out of the sentence. All the reason we have emotions, I, I think from a physiological perspective, is they keep us functioning. And we're basically chopping off half of them, anything we don't want to feel, that messes with us and people see it messes with you physiologically as well as mentally, emotionally spiritually absolutely you know, it's it absolutely there's evidence to to show that I think it, it's so much bigger than grief uh, I think we we need to turn everything on its head this is such a such an interesting way to look at things that every emotion has a place, but if we don't teach children from the get go that having that emotion, if you come home or you fall and cut your knee or what have you, when you come home, then as a parent i want to comfort you but allow you to feel what you feel and validate that for you
0: absolutely <clears throat> and and sometimes it's not even the necessity for us to validate as much as it is to simply hold that safe space for people to feel free enough to talk about the level of discomfort right. we're we're not here to fix people no We can't do that. People have to make the decision to take on the very deep, daunting emotional work. Because when you stop and think about how conditioned we've been to not do it, the minute we allow that to begin to surface and somebody's willing to sit and allow us to share those things without giving us advice, without any of that, to simply educate us on how crippled we've become on those fronts and they have to do that work like I said when we educate someone on the fact that the event that finally had them break and turn to look for help is really the tip of the iceberg it's everything Mm -hmm. they've experienced coming into self and, and, and how we've been just taught to not deal with any of that yet we can express all the joy all the happiness all of that and that's accepted but the minute you begin to talk about something uncomfortable people start moving in a different direction when they see you coming and we take on this aspect of i don't want to feel burdensome and we justify it
1: yeah yeah
0: See, and life comes at us in three stages, especially on the emotional front. Awareness, acknowledgement, and acceptance. And they tie into they they tie into how we function in the world, our competency.
1: Yeah.
0: When you're unaware of something, we even have expressions for it. Ignorance is bliss.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Stop and think
0: about that. And then somebody comes along and introduces you to something that raises an awareness in you. The first thing you experience when that happens is discomfort, not elation. Oh, look, no, you're feeling badly that you didn't know about it. So all of a sudden now you're consciously incompetent. Need I say more? Because the journey begins there. But I I don't wanna take away from what you really do here on this platform in regards to sharing stories around suicide and ideation. And I'm already like wanting to educate people around the line that's in under your name in regards to survivors. Yeah. Yeah. When we look at suicide, there are no survivors unless somebody hasn't been successful in completing what they look to set out. So, people are left behind when it comes to suicide. But when we take on the role of a survivor, it isolates us. And we no longer feel the ability to be able to share with anybody because nobody's going to really be able to understand this. And it just doesn't equip us with the material and the information we need to complete on that front because it, it, it continues to help us isolate. It's like guilt. It's like closure. Those are all words you'll never hear us use in, in the Institute. Really, people seeking closure, they're not seeking closure. They're seeking an openness. They're seeking to open their emotions to really being able to experience the things so they can address the different better more. They can address the hopes, dreams, and expectations they had. But we often want to take on roles as advocates on this front to, to spearhead and to talk about and to raise awareness around these things. And we're not helping people complete with the actual event or the loved one that has gone on to complete suicide.
1: Did you always have an innate wisdom or did a lot of this come after you changed your path
0: I think we're born the way we are, and depending on how courageous we are to deal with some of those defects and deficiencies, that speaks into it. I think we're born empaths, and how you want to hone that, it, it will really depend on how you choose to move through life. For the first part of my life, I lived in numbness. From the age of seven, I, I don't know if you provide your audience with bio links for some of the guests that come on, feel you free could. to do that. And I can provide you with an ebook around the six myths and stuff like that for yeah. your audience as well. That so would be if, wonderful. If they want to reach out to you or call in and order that book, I'll equip you with that so you can hand it off to them that
1: that would be excellent don i would really appreciate that i think that's absolutely Im- important and and so, go, go ahead. ahead no i was going to say from your perspective it i'm a very curious person by nature and what was that straw if you will that made you decide That the way you were living or how you were going forward just was no longer functional for you.
0: I think the initial shocker to me, because I came through an alcoholic environment. Okay. Um, I tried to kill my dad at the age of seven. He was beating my mother. And I went at him with a butcher knife. He was a phys ed instructor and had absolutely no challenge disarming me. And he threw me into a corner of the room and I hit that. And whatever worth could have lived in a little seven-year-old body just stepped from me. And I spent the next part of my life seeking worth in any way I could find it. And anywhere I could find it. And it didn't matter what that was. One of the things that triggered me into really beginning to look at where I was from a life perspective was my wife yelling one morning, Donnie. And I turned to look at my daughter who had a cigarette dangling from her mouth, a beer bottle in one hand, and my friend's gun in another. Oh, my God. And it it jolted me, and it it was still a couple of years after that um, before I made a decision to address the drinking and the drugging problem because I'd lived numb for such a long time. Here I, I had two children, I one son that we I'd given up for adoption because my girlfriend had a baby when. We were 17, and there was just no way. I was already full-blown alcoholic and drug addict. People can read that in my bio if they're interested in it. I don't want to take a whole lot of time here talking about that. But I just made a decision that I was going to stop drinking to prove to everybody that I didn't have a problem. And here's a real great example, at least from my perspective, between the acknowledgement step and the acceptance step. I acknowledged that I had a drinking problem, but I didn't accept it for three years and lived absolutely miserable. I was the biggest a-hole on the face of the planet. And I was that way with the people that I believed loved me deeply enough to accept that kind of behavior. I was so hurting, I was so broken, I was so torn down. I didn't know what else to do. And it's when I finally accepted the fact that I was alcoholic, that I was cross addicted, that I really began to explore what recovery was all about. And things began to shift there. Yeah.
1: And, and we're very glad you did.
0: Uh, thank you. I'm glad I did. Yeah. <laughs> My kids are as well.
1: I was going to say, and what about your daughter?
0: Yeah, she's. Yeah, she's doing well. That's good. And.
1: This is. The main reason. The kernel of hope. That I want to share with people. Is that. From the very depths of wherever. someone is in a not good place, someone's on the brink, someone has attempted and is still here, I want them to understand that there is hope that you can always choose to do things differently. And, And there's nothing easy about that. There's no magic door. You put the right key, you make a choice, you put the right key, and everything's roses. Not how it works. That hope is that you take it upon yourself to choose. To, in my case, look for the good. Look, Look for what you can be thankful for. And I can honestly say... Wow, you find it in spades, in everything, everyone, everywhere you look.
0: Absolutely. Back in 2008, when the economy crumbled, our industry that I was serving went out. The work just dissipated overnight. Yeah, I was in the creative communications field. And a cottage industry was burst overnight because, um, just suffice it to say, I I was looking for some answers. And I I just happened to be taking a personal development course based on Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. And I read a quote in that book that changed the course of my life. And here's the quote. We find what we look for. Yeah. But the daunting side of that is how we go about doing that research. Because I believe it's one of the things that we're dealing with in the fallout of COVID right now. Yeah. People who have taken sides. And it doesn't matter to me where people stand politically, where they stand ethically, where they stand spiritually. It doesn't matter because the algorithms on the social platforms are way too adept at providing us more information to validate our beliefs based on how we go about looking for answers and continues to deepen. Because during the very first COVID lockdown, I made a conscious decision to become a pathway to reconciliation and hope for all those who are hurting physically, financially, or emotionally. Now, how they go about doing that is entirely up to them. And it typically starts with a conversation based around no longer being able to deal with how I'm feeling. Yeah.
1: and That in itself is huge. I'm always so grateful for people who come to that crossroad and make the choice that helps others. Because a lot of people end up making a choice that only serves themselves. And I can say that with full understanding because I lived in victim state for a long time. And the only preacher you're serving in victim state is the victim. And you really don't want to be that. Sometimes you see the light from small things. Sometimes it takes something big and sometimes it takes repeated (laughs) activities that finally get through. But it's wonderful to know that you can make that choice at any age, after any amount of time. It's not someone who has a drinking problem who, oh, you only have three years and then there's no hope. There's always hope, always. And that for me is, I think, one of the most important things we can share with people is that it's never too late. There's always that opportunity. And within what you do, it's for one, it's a, a lot more and a lot different from what I assume, knowing what I do about grief. And I honestly thought I knew a fair amount, and I probably do, but... I obviously have a long way to go looking from this very different perspective and for people that maybe didn't understand that the losses that they're feeling are not these big traumatic events, but the losses of the relief and the love and the little bits that they needed to come after. What is it, what can we do for another human being? Not necessarily someone we know or interact with it. What can you do in the moment? If you see someone hurting, what is a, a best case scenario, something that you can do that I'm, I'm not asking people to give up their day or, or anything, but what small thing can you do to be of service at any given moment.
0: Listen. It's it's no more complicated than that.
1: He said, listen.
0: Yeah, but Elaine, it comes along with, when I talked about it earlier, developing the courage to go first, to talk about your discomfort, to talk about some of the things that you wrestle with. That's the difference between authenticity and vulnerability. Authenticity is a willingness to show up the way we truly are. Vulnerability is being able, being willing to take the risk of showing up authentically, knowing that some people may disown you.
1: And as as difficult as that is, I think it always ends up being better when you are real, authentic, and vulnerable. But I'm here to say that for people like me who really thought it wasn't about being vulnerable, it was about sharing your pain. And that always seemed wrong. It didn't seem like it would be helpful. It always seemed, ooh, why would I want to put that on someone else? Why would I want to give someone else that yucky feeling? Or tell them a, a, a sad story? Why would you do that? And I now know there's lots of people out there who feel that way. And we're wrong. We're wrong. If we make mistakes, if we fall down, if we do whatever that we want to change, sharing that foible, that mistake with somebody else can perhaps help them avoid a
0: worse mistake. See, it comes down to education for me. If we can avoid using terms like "I'm wrong," when you that's think great. about that, when when you think about that, that's what robs us of the courage to be able to share some of what we've got. But the flip side, what really keeps us from sharing those things is our self-worth. We do not feel like we are enough. We do not feel valuable enough. And that is the deep-rooted conditioning of never having been allowed to feel your feelings. Ah. To go watch TV, to go play outside. Yeah. One of the biggest examples I get to use is asking people who turn to us, have you ever moved as a child? And people inevitably say, yes, let's look at the loss that surrounds that event. When you brought that to your parents, you were filled with anxiety. You were filled with emotion. You were filled with fear. You were filled with so many things. You were losing the school you were going to, the familiarity of the playground, all of your friends, the house that you'd maybe grown up in, all of that was being uprooted. And what happens when you go to mom or dad to talk about it? If you go to mom, it's, darling, dad's got a better job. We're going to be moving into a nicer house. One, they're replacing the loss. Two, they're telling you not to feel bad. You're going to make new friends. You'll be fine. And fine is an acronym for feelings inside not expressed.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Wow. The pat answer we want to give people. How are you today? I'm fine. The minute... You ask somebody, and this comes from a good friend of mine, Peter George in Australia. The minute you're courageous enough to ask somebody how they are doing, how they are, how are you feeling, you've entered a social contract. Yeah. And if they begin to speak to you about any discomfort and anything that's going on, how unfair is it of you to burden them now with the responsibility of reaching out to you have they, if they have any need. No, that social contract we enter when we show enough care to ask someone how they really are, the onus is on us to continue to follow up.
1: And to listen.
0: Just yeah. listen. Yeah. We can't fix people. That's their journey. Yeah. We can educate them. We can provide them with a safe space to talk about the deep-rooted things that hurt them. With them knowing that there will be no analyzing, no judging, and no criticism.
1: No criticism,
0: yeah. Simply a safe space.
1: That's a huge difference from what we're taught. And whether you are someone who makes time for people or or someone who can't be bothered, without doing it in what the way you just mentioned, both of those types are not the ideal. you are not allowing that person that safe space. And I think that's something we all have to learn is about safe space. It's not about solving things. It's not about, definitely not about judging. It really changes how you look at things. And taking out the word wrong, I think, is important. And makes that a bit different as well.
0: Yeah. Wow. It, it The mystery around surrender. <sighs> when you surrender to the depth of your emotions, it's where true freedom is found. Yet we're conditioned to want to battle. And think about that. Yeah. We fight. We are And the misplacement of courage, of being courageous, willing to fight that battle, to be strong. Guess what happens? The battle rages on. It continues. The minute we surrender, the battle ends. Now we can begin to make different decisions. We can begin to move in different directions. We're no longer on someone else's battlefield trying to outwit, outsmart, outmaneuver. No, we begin to look internally and see how we can untangle the emotional mess that most of us find ourselves in. Because from an addictions perspective, what's one of the first steps? To admit that we were powerless. But we want to be in such control and show up like we've got it all together. Hand me the biggest messes, and I'll show you your closest friends.
1: <laughs> that was good. That's definitely good. Wow. Uh, oh, I have so much research to do. You, <laughs> you've got my whole head just swirling. It's like, oh.
0: No, I don't think I do. Cerebrally, you're quite capable of of like spinning this and understanding it any way you need to look at it. Where the confusion may lie is 13 inches south of your head, in your heart, where we're so unaccustomed to living.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm coming to terms with feeling feelings Mm -hmm. and not trying to dispose of them or ice them out or, or whatever. I totally understand that, but you've you've brought a little more, you've put more light on the situation and given me even more reason to, to do the work a little more.
0: Absolutely. It is so needed. Yeah, it is so needed. It's why I was just so uh, humbled and honored that you would want to have me on your podcast.
1: You and I had
0: talked a month or so ago,
1: and there was just a little something there that not only do do we have people in common because we're around about the same age, but there was an underlying something that I just felt I had to explore a little more. There was something there. I, I cannot thank you enough. You've given not just food for thought, but there's so much that we can all unpack about this. And what's really exciting to me and will be useful for you. Don has said he's going to give us an ebook that will contain those six myths that he talked about. Everything about Don and his pro on his profile on uh, suicides and forgiveness will have his bio and the links that uh, are relevant for Don and I do strongly suggest you have a look at it all and go have a look at the sites that you will see there and the links that we will have up for Dawn because I know in my heart that there's a lot there of great import and use and I know for one this is making a big difference. It really is wrestling with with dealing with feelings. Uh, For someone who didn't for such a long time, it's really interesting to see it from this very different perspective. And I I so thank you for that. I, I think what you've offered today is invaluable.
0: You're welcome. Thank you so much for just inviting me to take part in this. I just so deeply believe in the work that you're doing because it's so needed, it's so needed and it's been amplified by the last four years that we've just come through as a people.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. The the isolation that so many feel is, uh, is really, I don't think the world has ever been so divided even when we didn't have the means To get from tribe to tribe, there was less isolation than we're seeing now.
0: I'll I'll just take that back. If you want this in closing, what we've experienced over the last bit, and this comes from a Joe Rogan podcast that I took part as, as an audience to listen to. He had two specialists on there, and I can't remember their names. Because I was so engrossed in the content of what they were sharing. Wow. When they talked about is from an emotional perspective, our skill sets were on the Paleolithic level. We're just not skilled. And yeah. the entities that we as people have elected to protect and govern us are medieval in their skill sets to be able to deal with anything that's happening and our ability to disseminate information whether right or wrong is godlike so here we get the information out to 4 billion people at once instantly like the world is unfolding in all of our living rooms on all of our social media platforms and the feeds that we're experiencing right now all have a life of their own and so Our expectation, whether right or wrong, on the entities that we've elected to govern and protect us fall under the same kind of challenge with the information being dissipated. And here we are at the bottom of that hierarchy with paleolithic skill sets when it comes to dealing with the emotions that arise as a result of that information being given to us and us feeling unprotected. So now let's look at the intangible losses that we talked of in the way of safety, in the way of trust, in the way of value, in the way of self-worth, in the way of dignity, in the way of innocence. Where are we now? Look around folks, because there are people like Elaine, there are people like me who are dedicating great portions of their time to help people unravel some of that complexity getting plugged into places where you can get the help that you're not only looking for, but that you deserve so that you can complete emotionally and stand in places where you are whole as people.
1: So right. So beautifully said. Thank you so much. I, I so appreciate you being here with us. And I know the audience does as well. Remember, we're here every week. I'm Elaine Lindsay. My guest today was Don LaChance. It is Suicides and Forgiveness. And I will, of course, see you next time. In the meantime, make the very best of your today every day. Take care. Bye, Don.
0: Bye, Elaine. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.
1: And also by Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Kroon, the motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand up coach at Second City. On the stage, Judy draws from her wealth of performance experience, wit, and insight to entertain, inform, and inspire in her dynamic keynotes and half-day workshops.